hello, welcome to the second episode of Mathematically Speaking. I am your host, Adam Allred, and today we are going to be diving into the story of John Forbes Nash. Uh, he is my one of my favorite mathematicians and overall nerd hero. Uh, if you, after listening to this, if you want to know more about his life, or if you want to see it played out in a much more, just in a much better way, that gives its due respect you can read the book or watch the movie called a beautiful mind they're both titled a beautiful mind um russell crowe plays john forbes nash so it's phenomenal acting and it's just really well done so i highly recommend you if you're able to find that on netflix or hulu something like that um so i'm going to dive into his story and then dive into his math and what made him so great and then why he's one of my personal favorites and something you can take away from his life um, and and apply it into yours to make yourself more successful, a better person, whatever you want it to be. Uh, And I think that's just how I'm going to do these episodes from now on. They're going to be more history-based, more focusing on a person or a group of people or something, or more of a story um, that explain the math behind it because I think that's just one of the better ways to explain math to people and to teach math is to explain it through the philosophy and through the history of it as opposed to just throwing formulas and not giving it a social context because math is it's a social thing it, it works on a social level in this in society and in this world so it should be taught as such uh, so let's get started with Mr. Nash uh, he was he was born in 1928 in West Virginia um, so right before, uh, World War One is recently-ish ended, and World War Two is just kind of just around the corner, um, and he spent the years that are important to us and important to this context are his, where he spent his, uh, getting his PhD in math at Princeton, um, at the end of the war, and he was in presence of brilliant mathematicians and scientists, and they worked at something called the Institute of Advanced Mathematics. Uh, And, for example, you have Einstein and Oppenheimer, and if you're not aware of who they are, uh, they were two of the people that worked in the Manhattan Project who built the first atomic bomb. So he was in the presence of greatness um, for a lot of his formative mathematical years, uh, getting his PhD, and he would go into his go into their offices and just like storm in and try and get ideas from them and bounce his ideas off of them. And a lot of times they would just tell him that he's wrong and that he's that if you knew physics that this was something that was already found out or it was trivial that it, like it didn't matter. Um, and in math, if something is if, some, if something is called trivial, it's like like a monkey with a blindfold on could do this, it's super easy. So trivial is almost like an insult. And if you don't understand something and someone else calls it trivial, then you're not sure how to feel about your own intelligence. So they're they're saying that all these things, they're not, it wasn't in like, you can't do this, they were just telling him the things that you're doing, they don't matter. Um, And he, they would try to explain, like, see, this is in physics or like in higher level math, there's this thing. And they try to explain it to them explain it to Nash, and he would say, no, you're wrong, and then leave. Um, so you can imagine the arrogance, or maybe the 
extreme confidence or lack of awareness involved to tell someone like Einstein that their math is wrong. Um, so that kind of gives you an insight to like how he thought. And um, the most important thing about him is that Nash was obsessed with having a completely original idea. And there's two ways to get a PhD in math. Have an original idea, make a new theorem, new set of axioms, a new mathematical subject maybe. Uh, or do an old thing a new way. And he chose the first option. And he was just obsessed with it. He was convinced he was going to have an original idea. And so he never went to his classes. And he claimed that they were going to dull his creativity and that there's a reason why his friends were having original thoughts is because they were just being given thoughts in these classes. And so instead, he would spend all day walking around campus, interacting with people, playing board games, and trying to come up with mathematical explanations as to why the world around him worked the way it would. And he, if he was watching a football game, he would try to find the most efficient or optimized route. If he was watching some pigeons scurry around, he would try to predict where the next pigeon would go. Um, it's crazy things like that, but he was convinced and he really believed that he was going to have this original idea. And he was on the verge of being kicked out of his PhD candidacy, because if you don't produce work, they don't want to spend the money on you anymore. Because they're typically free. They, the school f foots the bill. And if you produce substantial work, that ends up bringing them money later. So for them, it's a reasonable investment. But if you don't produce work within your first four or five years, they just kind of kick you out. Um, and this was about to happen when one night him and his friends, they decided to go to a bar. Uh, and he just brings his work with him and he just keeps working there, um, trying to keep the social aspect of math alive. But he knew he had to sit in a chair and just keep working on whatever he was working on. And these five girls walk in. Uh, the middle one is a blonde and the other four are uh, brunettes. And that's, uh, that's how it's depicted in the movie, but it's supposed to be just like one really hot one and the four of her friend and the four friends. They're attractive, but this this blonde one is supposed to be like like model movie star level attractive. And they're all looking at her and they all like their jaws drop and imaginary wind blows through her hair and and then Nash has this idea that for them all to get a date the best choice is the best choice for each of them to make is the choice that benefits the group, not them individually. And he tells this to his friends, and they think, "Oh man, you're just trying to get the blonde for yourself." And he's like, "No, listen. If we each go for the blonde, then none of us get a date because we all block each other out. And then if we try to go try to ask out one of her friends afterwards." then they're going to reject us because they don't want to be second-picked and their feelings are hurt. So then they all leave and we're left with how to date. But if we go for a brunette or one of the friends instead and ask one of them out, then we all get a date. No one has their feelings hurt and it's a win-win for everybody. He leaves and starts writing his thing and, and he, uh, this ends up being like his original concept. It ends up 
being called the Nash Equilibrium, and it won him a Nobel Prize in economics um, for its application in economics, obviously, evolutionary biology, politics, law, a bunch of other things. Um, if you're wondering, it wasn't a Nobel Prize in math because there isn't a Nobel Prize in math. Nobel did not like mathematicians. He thought we were jerks, so he like just kicked us out of the Nobel Prize Club. Um, but the field of math that uh, Nash's work was put into is called game theory. And it's basically the math behind strategic choice making, like in chess or in checkers or any of those kind of board games. There's math behind it that can again then get extended to real-world applications. Um, video games developers use it now in making uh, role-playing games. And it was used, or the, the idea was used in creating OPEC, which is like the oil, uh, global oil cartel. I'm not really sure what the, the acronym stands for, but it's basically the, all the countries that produce oil and that sell oil. They agree on the prices of, sorry, the prices of oil and everything for the global market. Um, so if, so to explain the equilibrium in this sense, if you have U.S., Venezuela, Canada, and Saudi Arabia, those are the four biggest uh, oil producing countries. If you have those four and they're sitting at a table and they're discussing oil prices and all that kind of stuff. Um... So one ex one situation is that they all sign a contract. Let's say that it says that we'll all raise our prices. That way we all make more money and we don't screw each other over. They sign a contract and it's done. Other countries had to buy oil from them because they can't produce their own. They are left with no choice but to either not use oil or just pay more money. And so all these four countries make more money. So the other situation is what's today, because those those contracts, those treaties are illegal, and so it's just a handshake, pretty much. So now it's now there's some now there's some free will in it. Now these countries, let's say the U.S. goes, hey, uh, you know what? Let's let's lower our prices instead, and not tell the other three, so that the countries that can't afford the raise, or that say they don't want to pay the extra money. And come to us, we get we get a bunch more countries, more customers, and we make more money. But each of all four of those countries are thinking the exact same thing, thinking that the other countries are going to screw them over. So let's act first. So they all lower their prices. Nothing changes. So this, in essence, is the Nash equilibrium. And I'll give it one more example to illustrate it further, um, and hopefully it makes sense to you. Um, this, so let's say you and your friend commit a crime, and this is known as the prisoner's dilemma, and you're, you're caught, and you're being interrogated, and they need the confession to put you away, uh, but they only have enough evidence to put you away for a year, but they're trying to get you for more than that. So if you don't talk, you only have a year in prison. If you confess, then you get to go for free. You get to go home and there's no jail time and your friend goes to prison for life. Um, and they tell this to both of you, but they're not, but they don't tell you that the other person knows this as well. They're just talking to you. And so what do you do? Can you trust your friend not to rat you out? Because even common sense without math, you know that the best choice is seeing this all played out. Um, you see, the best choice is to not talk. 
both of you keep quiet, you only go to jail for a year. If both of you confess, you go to jail for 10 years. One is less than 10, so just stay quiet. But when you're in that situation, the selfish thing is to just talk, send your friend to jail. No years in prison is better than one year in prison. Might as well take the risk for that, for that little bit of value. And Nash's equilibrium and ends up saying that that is the best choice. The best choice is to keep quiet. But the choice that's going to get made is both people talking. Because people think of themselves first and then the group as opposed to thinking of the group and then themselves. So there's, there's Nash and there's his math. So what does that mean for a person who's not a mathematician or an economist or that doesn't really matter? But we still make choices. That's, that's what this comes down to, though. We don't really think of our choices as being mathematically involved, but if we do, if we think more mathematically, maybe we can start making better choices. And most of our choices don't really matter whether we have a PB&J or a turkey sandwich for lunch. It's inconsequential. Um, but the choices between, maybe between groups or in work or any other kind of dynamic situation like that where there's a lot of moving parts, having a more mathematical thought process could end up giving you a better result and keeping in mind that the best choice for the group should outweigh the best choice for each individual in that group. Even if that means some of the individuals or all the individuals need to take, need to take a bit of a hit for the group to, per, to prosper overall. Um, and we can think of this today as a, with a lot of social issues going on today, do we think, how do we think of ourselves? Do we think of ourselves as a part of a community, part of a state, part of a country, or maybe part of the, if we extend that just to a global citizenship, the best choice for everyone may not be the best choice for us individually, but we have to think of ourselves as part of that whole and less as an individual. Um, so, so we're taking away the math from it now. So mathematically, it doesn't. Let's let's take that out and just on a purely philosophical level. How do you make a right choice? What is a right choice? This kind of there's a concept in um, ethics. Sorry, blanking on that for a second. In ethics and like morality, that the best group. The best choice to make is the choice that benefits the group overall, and it's something called utilitarianism. And it kind of breaks it down into, into numbers. Uh, the greatest good for the greatest whole. It was um, Jeremy Bentham is the one, is the political philosopher that came up with this idea. And Nash's Equilibrium kind of mimics that, but on a more rational, on, on a more, not rational, on a on a mathematical like proof of it if, if, if you want to think of it like that and and then it could also lead into do we like in a question of free will are we just making the most mathematically optimal choices or do we actually have the ability to have a completely original choice um so there's some I'll let, maybe i'll bring that up next time i'll let you guys think about that for now um, so do you, a question of free will and a question of what is, how do you make a right choice? Is there, is it an optimal thing? Is it, is it an optimization? Do you agree that it's, 
that the greatest choice, the best choice to make is the one that benefits the group as a whole and not just each individual, each individual. Um, and next week I'm going to get into that a bit more. Um, but one of my favorite parts of, of, of John Nash's story is that math can be done by anyone. And something that I left out earlier is that Nash was a schizophrenic. He was not some mathematical protege from birth. Um, he was really smart. He was a, he's a genius, but it wasn't like this unheard of intelligence. Um, but he did the two things that every motivational guru or business guru on YouTube nowadays is going to tell you. He believed in what he wanted, which was to have an original idea, and then he just worked. He put in the hours in the chair, and he, people call it, maybe he, people today call it manifested. He manifested this thing. I just think he, he worked, he just put in the hours, and then the opportunity arose, and he was living in the space and thinking of it so much that he was able to have the insight needed to come up with his original idea. Um, and originality is a huge thing in math. It's because um, anybody can come up with this concept that someone else has made already, um, and that's another. Just, that's just an interesting thing in the history of math. People who are completely disconnected from each other, coming up with their own original ideas, like the Mayans and uh, people in India came up with zero, the concept of zero around the same time, and like a notation for it. Before and they had no way to contact each other. It was no one was sending tweets out like, "Hey, I discovered this thing of zero. What do y'all think?" They were coming up with these ideas completely independent of each other, and they were both originals. So it's really hard to give credit to who because they built it at the same time. No one was feeding off of each other. Um, so being original is this huge is a very very important thing in math. Um, I'm going to try and touch in on those things that make math, like try to answer overall the question of what is math. I'm going to try and sprinkle those things in here. Um, but that's, that's today's episode of Mathematically Speaking. Um, if, if you like this, stay tuned till next time. I'm going to, I'm going to try to make it next week. Um, but we'll see. And if you have any feedback for me, you can, if you want to let me know what you thought about this, if, if you have any further questions, I can explain something. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Adam Elisha, uh, A-D-A-M-E-L-I-S-H-A, Adam Elisha on Instagram and Twitter. Let me know any feedback you have. If you think it sucks, that's fine. Let me know. Um, at this point, any feedback is good feedback. And next time on Mathematically Speaking, I'm going to dive into the world of probability theory with uh, focusing on the story of Blaise Pascal, who's the one who invented this field of math. And he was a young French mathematician, and something crazy happened, and he completely like threw math away and said it was for children and focused on religion and became obsessed with Christianity. And so we'll dive more into how to make, maybe on how to make correct choices, the question of free will. And I'll explain his, uh, one of the more, sorry, a, what he thought as a purely rational explanation for the existence of God. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, or if you have friends that, that might sound interesting to them, go ahead, tell them about this podcast. And again, thank you for your time. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. 
Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started. If you have any questions or comments and you'd like them to be on the show, feel free to leave me a voice message. The link for that should be in the show notes. If you want to leave me a message, you can find me on Instagram at Adam underscore Elisha, on Twitter at Mathematically Speaking, and there's now a Facebook group called Mathematically Speaking where we're going to be having discussions after every show, and I'll be posting episodes there about a day early. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show.